Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Whether you are in the room, whether you are tuned in online, it's so good that you decided to come out on this really ugly, cold, blustery, what just happened weekend. (laughs) Anybody else got trees down and basketball hoops turned over in their driveway? I don't know what that was about, but you got here, which tells me that you are expecting something this morning. Last week, Luke introduced us to a brand new series called Can You Imagine? And I want to take some time this morning to talk to you about your imagination. Because so often we think, well, if I'm not an uber creative person, then I don't have an imagination. Or we often think that imagination is something that is solely built into children. And actually, there's a time in your life when you need to grow out of having an imagination. But I want to take you through um, a talk today and take you through some scriptures to show you that your imagination is actually a gift that God has given you to bless your life with and to draw you closer to him with. Albert Einstein said, logic will get you from A to B, but your imagination will get you everywhere. I think Walt Disney was one of the most creative, imaginative people to have ever walked this earth. In the 1920s, he introduced us to the Disney Brothers Studios. And later on um, in, in that decade, he introduced us to a talking mouse. He introduced us to this mouse that he gave character and personality to. He gave imagery to. He gave it a name, a name that we all still call the mouse by today, Mickey. And if you find yourself in Disneyland, you too will find yourself talking to the talking mouse. That was Walt Disney's imagination. As his imagination grew, so did his studio. He became adventurous. He introduced synchronized sound and technicolor and began to use cameras in a way that had never been used. And we got our first Disney movies, Pinocchio, Bambi, Snow White, The Seven Dwarfs, those really early classics all came because he was thinking, but if we do this, and what if we do this, and what if we work cameras like this along with some color, we could present something great. Walt Disney's mind was ablaze with ideas. By the 1950s, his creativity could no longer be tethered to a studio, and he introduced us to the first, the world's first amusement theme park, which was Disneyland, California. He had a finger in many pies. He was always inventing and creating. By the 1960s, he went on to begin development and work on what we know today as Disney World Florida. But he didn't just want to be a theme park with the Disney rides. He had this imagination of what would it look like in the future? What will it be like to live in the future? What is is the future going to look like? So we began to, to develop Epcot World. 
And so if you go to Florida today, you get to go to Disneyland, but you also get to go to Epcot. That was his mind thinking about the future. But sadly, Walt Disney died before Disneyland World or the Epcot Center was ever opened. And on the opening ceremony, his wife, Lillian Disney, she, she was interviewed. And the interviewer happened to say to her, it must be really sad for you, the fact that Walt never got to see any of this. And her response was, oh, but he did. He saw it all in his imagination first. The dictionary definition of the word imagination is the power of forming a mental image of something not present. It could be something of your past that you remember, you need your imagination to remember. It could be something from your future that has not yet been or has not happened. It is the ability that you have to form pictures or ideas in your mind of things that are new and exciting or things that you have not yet experienced. (laughs) Your imagination plays a vital role in your life. It's not just about being an inventor or a creator. Your imagination is what helps you to function in life. You can't even plan your tomorrow without your imagination. If I was to say to you, what are you going to be doing tomorrow? Your mind begins to picture you in tomorrow and you think of all the things that I need to do. And then you make plans towards your tomorrow. So you need your imagination every single day. You can't give someone directions without using your imagination. If someone were to say to you, how do I get from here to Lime Street Station? You don't just see the road signs in your head. You picture the route they're going to take. That's your imagination. You begin to think of the way they need to go. You can't remember things without your imagination. If I was to question you and ask you about an old school friend, and then I named that school friend, an image of them would pop up in your mind, how you remember them. That is you using your imagination. Your imagination is not fantasy. Fantasy is an impossibility that can never be. But imagination is your mind's way of creating pictures of your thoughts. Okay. If I was to say to you, I want you to think about a car. Okay, I promise you, no one here is thinking of the letters C-A-R. You are picturing the car in your mind. It's your imagination. If I was to say to you, giraffe, Ain't no one spelling giraffe, because we all struggle spelling giraffe anyway, but nobody's seeing the letters spell out. You're all seeing this long-legged animal with a long neck and mottled skin, hopefully. It's your imagination giving you a mental image of what I'm talking about. The Hebrew word for imagination is yeser. Y-E-S-E-R. And that word means to conceive. So your imagination is where you conceive things before they ever become a thing. Your imagination is where you conceive ideas. You conceive memories. You conceive 
thoughts. It's kind of like a woman who conceives a child on the inside before it ever shows up on the outside. If you can't see it here first, you will never see it out here. And God understood that principle. You know, when we first purchased this building, this was a derelict warehouse. I mean, it was beyond bad. Nothing that you can see right now was as it was. And we had to come into this abandoned warehouse before we made a decision to purpose. And we had to use our imagination. We had to see the church in here when it was an absolute wreck and ruin. This, what we use as the foyer out here, it had all Luton vans parked up. It was a a car parking area for, for delivery drivers when the warehouse was functioning. We had to walk past the vans and we had to think, this might work as a foyer space. <laughs> we had to imagine bathrooms like there was not a toilet in the entire place. We would draw it out on the line and we would think, okay, well, if we built bathrooms here, what would that area look like as powerhouse? We had to use our imagination and see the church in here before it ever came because everything starts in your mind first. Before you learn to drive a car, you see yourself drive the car. If you're applying for your driving license now, you've already gone there in your mind and you've already seen yourself. When I pass my test, I'm going to go to so-and-so's house. I'm going to be driving around because you've already seen it before it ever becomes, before you go on a holiday. You imagine yourself on the holiday. You know, you might have paid for the holiday, you booked the holiday, but it's your imagination that pictures you sitting by the pool, walking along the beach. It's because of your imagination that you are eating three meals of lettuce every day because you've already seen yourself in the bathing suit. And you're like, hmm, yes, I need to do something about my diet before I get on that holiday. God created us with imagination, with the ability to dream for things not seen. He put everything that we would ever need inside of us to live an extraordinary life. God wants you to be able to live life beyond your circumstances. God wants you to be able to see your life beyond what you can just see today. If we'd have just walked into this building and saw it how it was, we never would have purchased it and we never would be using it as a church. We had to walk in and see it beyond its natural state. Your imagination makes reading possible. You see, when you read, you just read in words off a page. But it's your imagination that puts you in the book and helps you to imagine what is being said. Authors know this. They want you to picture the story in your mind. They want you to imagine the scene. They want you to smell the farmyard. They want you to put yourself in the story so that you have a complete understanding of what's going on. It's your imagination that helps you to feel and to express the reason we can celebrate with someone and be joyous with someone is because we can imagine how they must feel now they've passed the exam. We can imagine how they must feel now they're getting married and it enables us to celebrate with them. 
It's our imagination that helps us to, to feel empathy towards someone when they're going through a really difficult time. We say things like, I can't imagine what you're going through. But the truth is, it is because you can imagine yourself in their shoes that your heart breaks for them. And so your imagination plays a vital part in your life. Imagination prompts innovation. Think of how the world has developed in the area of medicine and construction and technology. It's because there are people lying in their beds at night thinking, if I do this and I do this and we bring that and we move that and we, we can develop and we can create and we can kick on and we can progress Imagination is what helps you to recall and to remember, celebrate and empathize and imagine more for your life than what you see right now. But you see, imagination is not just a gift that God has given you. It's a facet of who God is. The whole world came from his imagination. God thought it, then he spoke it, and it became So everything that we know as our universe, the sun, the moon, the stars, the sea, the land, the sky, all creatures great and small, those in the air and those in the sea, all came because God thought about it first and spoke it into being. And when he finished creating the earth, he said in Genesis 1.25, then he said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. So God made you in his likeness. That means something of that creative God was in you. You were not an accident. God thought about you and he created you, not so you could be God, but so you could have a likeness of God in your expression on the earth, just like you have a likeness of your parents. You know, when a new baby's born, the first thing we all do is go, oh, who does he look like? Because we know there's going to be something of the parents in that child. Well, there's something of God Almighty, the creative creator of this world. He's put his likeness and his image inside of you to be able to do and be more than you currently are today. You know, if you were to ask a classroom of six-year-old children, who in this room is artistic? Who's good at drawing? Do you know virtually everyone in the class have put their hand up? Do you know if you had to ask the same class of six-year-olds, who's the smartest one in the class? Do you know they'd all put their hand up? Because in their mind, there's nothing they cannot do. You ask the same question to a classroom of 16-year-old students, who in this room is artistic? You might get two or three, maybe, will put their hand up. You ask a bunch of 16-year-olds, who's the smartest one in the class? They'll all laugh at themselves and point to somebody else. Why? Because somewhere over the years, they stopped believing and became limited in their thinking. Why? Because someone laughed at their idea. Someone told them to grow up. Someone told them to stop daydreaming. Someone told them they were foolish. Someone told them they were childish. And what happens to us as adults over time, 
we begin to stop believing in all we could do or all we could become. You have an imaginative mind whether you choose to believe it or not. And God wants you to use your imagination when you pray. He wants you to be able to see yourself with the answer to the prayer that you are praying. Don't just pray to God and then walk away and just think, you know, well, if it's his will, he'll just drop it out the sky for me one day. If you're praying to God, then you're believing that God can do something in your world. Then you need to start to imagine and see yourself living in the promises of God. I have never sat with a young girl who desires to be married, who's talking to me one day about who and how and when and praying for a marriage partner who has never yet seen herself in a wedding dress. She's got that thing planned. She knows exactly what it's going to be like. She knows the fit and the shape and she knows where she's going to show up because she's already imagined herself walking down the aisle. Well, that's how God wants you to pray. It's like if you are praying and asking God to to give you discipline or give you ways to become debt-free, then what are you going to do when you're debt-free? You start to imagine, I'm going to save or we're going to buy the house or we're going to do the thing. And God wants you to do that. You know, we've got a number of women in this church that have waited years to have children, years to have a baby. And we've prayed with them and we've stood with them. But do you know what they've done in their waiting? They've been out buying baby clothes and baby things and putting them away. Why? Because they're visualizing and seeing themselves as being mamas one day and wholeheartedly believing that God has said he'll do what he will do. Scripture tells us that we're to live by faith and not by sight. Faith starts like this. When I close my eyes, I can imagine what it will be like when. And you fill in your blank. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, for we live by believing and not by seeing. God calls that belief system faith. Now, faith, it's not airy-fairy, wishy-washy, hopeful thinking. Faith is when you know what God has said in his word and you believe it can actually happen for you in your life. It's when you know what the word of God says and you choose to believe what God says over the circumstances that you see. In Romans 4, 18, it says this. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but but on what God said he would do. It's talking about Abraham. This is thousands of years after Abraham had walked the earth, but but it's been recorded and written and showing us that Abraham's circumstances looked impossible in the natural. God told him he would have a baby. He was in his 70s, so was his wife. It was impossible, but... It said he didn't look at what he couldn't do, but instead he decided to believe what God said he would do. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what do you believe today? 
It's going to believe you and your circumstances. And you know what? There's nothing wrong in that. But your life will be limited. Or are you going to find out what God says in his word and choose to believe that? Many people believe that just having a daily Bible reading grows their faith. Now, having a daily Bible reading is good and it is right. But what grows your faith is the meditating on God's word. That is what grows your faith. And meditating comes after reading. You can't read the word of God and meditate on the word of God at the same time. I'm going to show you what this looks like. It looks like taking a piece of scripture, scripture that we may be familiar with already, but taking a piece of scripture. It's not about knowing reams of the Bible, but meditating is when I've read it and I close my Bible, I'm going to ponder on that all day. I'm going to ruminate over it. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to think what that means for me in my life. What would it look like if that scripture actually became a reality in my life? Scriptures like Isaiah 40, those who hope, those who wait on the Lord will have renewed strength. I've shut my Bible. I'm going about my business. I'm in work. I'm doing the school run, whatever. But the scripture is going around in my mind and I'm thinking to myself, what would it look like if I had renewed strength in my life? What would it look like if my spirit was stronger and I was able to stand up for what is right and decline what I know to be wrong? What would it look like if my physical body was strengthened and I could just keep go in that little bit longer? What would it look like for my character to be strengthened? The Bible says that if I wait on the Lord, you know, I'm just going to stay close to God. I'm just going to walk closely with God. I'm going to wait and see what he does in my lifetime. That's what meditating on the word of God is. It's not reading a scripture and forgetting it. It's about ruminating and letting that scripture go um, dwell within you. Before Joshua went into battle in Joshua 1, God said to him, God sent him an angel because he knew Joshua was afraid. And he said, be strong and very courageous for I will be with you wherever you go. And then God went on to say to him in verse 8, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. And only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Wow. It's not reading the Bible that you'll prosper and succeed in all you do. It's when you meditate on my word. When it becomes part of you and you become part of it and you can see it as a reality in your life, God says, then you will prosper and succeed in all you do. God was saying to Joshua, I don't just want you to hear what I'm saying. I don't just want you to read what I'm saying. But Joshua, I want you to think about what I'm saying as part of your life. What's it going to look like? Joshua, imagine how brave and courageous you could be if you could just understand I am with you always. You will never see on the outside unless you first see it on the inside. It's important that you read your Bible, but it is equally important that you meditate on scriptures that you've read. Never mind getting a 365-day Bible reading plan, going to read the Bible in one year. Great, 
but it's not so great if you can't remember anything you've read. It's not so great if that scripture is inactive in your life. So don't be trying to race through the Bible in a year, but why don't you focus on the year and get three scriptures that I have meditated on, that I know that are going to become a reality for me in my life. We know so many Bible scriptures, but do we understand what they mean for me personally? Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans not to harm you, but plans to prosper you and give you a hope and a future. We quote it so well, we stick it on fridge magnets, we hang it on plaques on the wall, and we're like, woohoo, Jeremiah 29, 11. But what does it actually mean for you? Ruminate on it, meditate on it, ponder it. Get it into your spirit, for I know the plans that I have for you. So on my darkest, loneliest days, I've got to remember God's got a plan for me. When I feel like my life is falling apart, God, God, God's got a plan for me. And you see, this is all using, this is how faith works in you. And you're saying, God's got a plan for me. You know when? When my husband leaves me, when the job makes me redundant, when so-and-so ridicules me, when the friends don't want to know me, God said he had a plan for me. I'm not an accident. I'm not a mistake. He's got a purpose for my life, plans not to harm me. So when they're ridiculing me, when they're making fun of me, when they're making memes about me, guess what? It's not part of God's plan because he said his plans are not to harm you. When I'm sick in my body, it's not part of God's plan because his plan is not to harm me. When I get the promotion, when I pass the exam, when I do the thing, when like that's part of God's plan because he's prospering my life but you won't know that if all you can do is quote the scripture and you've never made the scripture a part of who you are God wants to pick you to picture the life that he has for you but if you don't know what the word says about you or to you you'll never know God's plans for you and so therefore, you will never see life outside of the depression or, or, or the divorce or, or the disappointment. So you've got to imagination whether you believe it or not. And your imagination does not switch off. It is constant. And if you don't learn to tether your imagination to the word of God and what God says, your imagination will begin to work against you. Your imagination will begin to work negatively. It can happen to us as Christians when we only fleetingly know what to do, but we don't really understand who we are in Christ. So we know to pray when there's a problem, but when we're not tethered to the word of God, our prayers can be ineffective because you might be praying over a failing relationship, and that's a right thing to pray and a good thing to pray. But if you are not able to tether that to, I know what God says about marriage, I know what God says about restoration, then what's going to happen is you're going to say amen, and immediately your imagination's going to go, what if he leaves you? What if you're left raising the kids on your own? How are you going to pay the bills? How are you going to survive? Because that is you using your imagination, but instead of using it for faith, you're using it for fear. Because you do know that fear is faith in reverse. And actually... 
the world might mock the church because we have a faith-based Christianity, a faith-based belief, but it takes just as much faith to believe fear as it does to believe in the word of God. Because you do know, right, they are both the same. Because the book of Hebrews tells us that faith is believing those things that are not as though they are. What's fear? Well, it's believing those things that are not as though they are. Because fear worries about what might be and what could be. But actually, it never even is. It's your imagination that runs away with you. So God wants you to use your imagination. It's not fantasy. And you need your imagination to understand God's word. You know, whenever Jesus was teaching a kingdom principle to the people, do you know how he did it? This is God Almighty, Jesus. But when he wanted to teach kingdom principles to ordinary everyday people, he just made it so basic and so simple that they could understand. If he wanted to get a kingdom point across, he would often speak in a story form so that they could build up a picture in their mind of what he was saying. You can read through the Gospels. He'd speak in parables in parables, and he'd simply say things like, well, it's like a woman baking bread. It's like a farmer planting seed. It's like a man knocking on a door. It's like trying to sew a new piece of cloth on an old piece of cloth. These are all stories Jesus told to get a kingdom principle across. He was teaching them, yes, sir. He was giving them something they could conceive in their mind because he understood if they could get it in their mind, it would grow on the inside and eventually it would show up on the outside of their life. Throughout the Gospels, uh, throughout Matthew 13, you can read through it. Jesus is trying to teach the people what the kingdom of God is like. He's trying to teach them a- a- along the subject of faith and believe in what you cannot see. This is how he says it. In Matthew 13, he says, the kingdom of God is like an acorn that a farmer plants. It's quite small as far as seeds go. But in the course of the years, it grows into a large oak tree and eagles build nests in it. He's trying to give them a picture of one of the tiniest seeds that grow into one of the biggest trees, so big that the biggest of birds can nest in it. He's trying to say to them, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. It is expansive. He went on to say the kingdom of God is like leavened bread. The kingdom of God is like a sea merchant in search of pearls. The kingdom of God is like a net that is thrown into the sea and gathers up all types of fish. Jesus was a storyteller. He told them stories so they could use their imagination to get hold of principles that would change their life. And I honestly believe that this is the way God has communicated with humanity for all of time. It's why David, as a young shepherd boy, was able to, was able to write psalms like Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. David was able to do that. Why? Because as he's caring for his sheep, he's using his imagination and he's going, actually, I think this is the way God cursed for me. Actually, like the way I care for my sheep, the way I tend for my sheep, that's the way God cursed and tends for me. The way I protect my sheep and I keep them safe, that's the way God protects and uh, looks after me too. 
So David was able to draw parallels from pictures. We mentioned Abraham before. His story is found in Genesis 12. And Abraham was a faithful man of God, loved God all of his life, gave his entire life over to serving God. He walked and talked with the Lord. But though he was a faithful man, he was married to Sarah and they were childless. They'd never had children. He didn't have an heir. He had no one to continue his legacy. And when he's in his late 70s, God sends an angel to speak into his world and to tell him, Abraham, from your seed, I'm going to make a great nation. I mean, that is mind-blowing stuff. Because in the natural, that's the most craziest thing anyone could say to a 70-year-old man. In the natural, that was never going to happen. His biologically, that could not happen. This was an impossible situation. And yet God was not asking him to believe for a baby. God was saying to him, actually, Abraham, what I want you to conceive And what I want you to believe is that your children's 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 children are going to make a great, vast, mighty nation. That's going to require some faith, right? That's going to require quite a lot of faith. But God gave him a picture to help him imagine what it would be like. Because God knew if he could picture it in his mind on the inside, he would have enough faith to believe it would show up on the outside. In Genesis 22, God said to him, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Now this might sound like an odd illustration to us in the 21st century, but God understood Abraham's life placement. Abraham was a nomadic tent dweller. He was actually being moved from one area of land that he lived in, and God was taking him on a journey to take possession of another land. God, Abraham lived for most of his life in a tent. So when he was relaxing of an evening, he couldn't put the TV on or the internet on. Abraham would sit outside his tent and stargaze. And after God spoke that word into his life, I think Abraham would look at the stars and maybe he'd start to count them. Two, three, four, five, seven, eight, nine, ten. Start again. I've lost count. Night after night, he'd look up at the stars and then he'd begin to imagine, I can't count these stars. And God said, my descendants are going to be more than the stars. Abraham's journey was spent going across wilderness and desert land. And I could imagine every time he went into the tent, Sarah would say, Abe, you get them sandals off before you come into this home. And every time he took his sandals off, he'd be pouring sand out of them. And as he sat wiping his feet, he'd be thinking, I can't even count the sand between my toes. Yet God said, my descendants are going to be more than the grain of sand on a seashore? Wow. For 25 years, God arranged it that every time he looked up and every time he looked down, he pictured 
the promise of God in his life. Every time he looked up and he saw the stars, every time he looked down, there's nowhere he could look where he could forget what God was saying to him. For 25 years, he believed in the faithfulness of God. So in closing now, I want to remind you that your mind doesn't think in text and it doesn't think in words, but your mind sees images. And I want to ask you the question, as we end one year and we approach a brand new year, what can you imagine for your next year? Because you can either just take whatever life throws at you or you can begin to yeser and begin to conceive your miracle now in your mind for what is to come in your future. How do you do that? You by taking the Word of God. The Word of God is full of Scripture about relationships, about healing, about finance, about your character, about your attitude. It's full of, it talks about your courage and your confidence. You can find your scripture and start now. Meditate on the word of God. Give yourself the gift of imagination and allow yourself to believe that this word, this ancient book is more than just words on a page, but actually it's a real life picture of what your life can be like. Church, let's stand this morning. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.